So, so um, one of my favorite movies is uh, the movie uh, Galaxy Quest. Just out of curiosity, has anyone else seen Galaxy Quest? All right, my family and Edmund. Okay, so this is going to be hard. All right, um, so in the movie Galaxy Quest, Galaxy Quest is a is a kind of parody of the Star Trek TV shows, and um, in it, uh, the, the the idea behind this movie is that is that the cast of a TV show, a Star Trek type of TV show, um, due to due to plot devices that don't really concern us, uh, get caught up into a Star Trek type episode. So they're out in space and they're being beamed around and all that kind of stuff. So it's like being caught up in a Star Trek episode, except they're actors. They're not, you know, Captain Whoever and uh, Lieutenant Commander Whoever, right? They're just actors, and they don't really know what they're doing when they get there. So at one point in the movie, uh, one of the actors, uh, uh, the, the one who plays the commander, the, the, the Captain Kirk sort of figure, um, he is on, on a planet, and he's being uh, chased by a rock monster. So that's the rock monster right there behind him. And he's, he's talking on his communicator to the people, the other actors back up on the ship, and he's saying, how do I defeat this thing? You know, I'm an actor. What do I know about defeating rock monsters? And one of the other actors back up on the ship says, you're just going to have to figure out what it wants. What is its motivation? And the, the first actor says, says, it doesn't have motivation. It's a pile of rocks. It doesn't have motivation. And the other actor back up on the ship, who is a famous British thespian, he says, that's your problem, Jason. You've never had any respect for the craft. <laughs> so a good actor should be able to look at a pile of rocks and figure out what its motivation is. So, so um, that's, that's kind of the idea of the, of the thing. But, but the question is, what is its motivation? Um, when, something, when you look at something that's completely different than you are, Trying to figure out what is its motivation is a real puzzle. That is what the, the psalmist is grappling with in Psalm 8 when he says, he says, um, uh, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, um, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? He is, he is wrestling with the, the, the question. Most of the time I think we can kind of say, well, of course, God is pretty much like me, and in fact, God likes me a lot because I'm such a wonderful person. We can relate to God because we have a kind of a, a phony image of who God is in our heads, right? God's just that guy down the hall or, or the person across the street, just kind of the same but a little bit different. But the psalmist, he's out there, you know, herding sheep at night or something. He's looking up at the stars and he's going, I don't understand God. I don't have the faintest clue about God. When I look at all this... Who are human beings that you care about us? That's, that's the question. What is God's motivation? How can we possibly understand God because God is so different? Let me show you some pretty pictures. This picture right here, back up, back up, there we go. This is the, um, this is the, uh, Eagle Nebula. The Eagle Nebula is, um, uh, a, a cloud of dust and gas in space. And it's it's far away. If um, if if this was uh, the size of our solar system, this quarter um, is about an inch across. And if it was if if our solar system from the orbit of Pluto um, was this big, so a big a big a big space uh, that's that's very big. 
But if this was our solar system, then this nebula would be about 80 miles away. So you drive to Wasilla and then you drive back. That's about how far away this nebula is. And um, uh, because it is so big, um, you would think it would be very big in the sky, but it's also very far away. So um, in the next picture, um, so since it's so far away, even though it is very big, um, it's it's small in the sky. So if you could see it next to the moon, it would be about a quarter the size of the moon in terms of how much of the the sky it took up. So that's about how big it is. The next picture um, uh, shows why it's pink. Um, we, we've seen things that, that glow pink. Um, they're called neon lights, and, and they're all over the place. The difference is in space there aren't any tubes, right? There's no tubes, so you can't spell out cool words. You've just got a big blob of gas, and that seems kind of strange. It's hard to imagine a neon light without a tube, but actually we have them all the time, um, they're called the northern lights. We see them in, here, in, here in Alaska from time to time. Um, here on Earth, the most common gases are nitrogen and oxygen. And when they get excited by, by electricity or by heat, uh, they, they glow green. So that's why the northern lights tend to be green. There's some other colors. But, but they're green. But in space, there's not much oxygen. There's not much nitrogen. So the most common gas is hydrogen. And when it gets excited, it glows pink. So the Eagle Nebula is pink in visible light. There's also some dark spots. You see there's kind of patches of dark there. There's that triangle thing up at the top. So um, uh, that's what that, that's caused by dust. So the dust is in the way. We can't really see what's behind it. Uh, that's because we're using visible light. But the way a scientist approaches that problem is he says, well, there's other kinds of light. There's x-rays. So they take a picture of it with x-ray film, and they get this picture instead. And now you can see whatever's behind that triangle. It looks the same to me, but scientists care. So um, uh, I, I want to call your attention to that, or I wanted to tell you why we've got the x-ray picture there. Because underneath the x-ray, you see there's this weird little structure. It looks like kind of a blob of cloud there. Um, go to the next one. So that's what it looks like in visible light, and you can't see it very clearly. But then when you see it in the x-ray, you see it's, it's more pronounced. It's easier to see what's going on there. And what that is is... Um, one of the most famous pictures of the 1990s. Come, come to the next picture. That is called the Pillars of Creation. You probably saw it. It was taken by the Hubble Space Telescope in 1995, and for a while people were using it. Um, it's on the cover of your bulletin. So um, it's clipped off. You see the one of them is there. That is the Pillars of Creation, and inside those are star systems being made. So um, uh, yeah, go, go back one more to the big one. Okay, the tall one on the left... That is nine light years tall, okay? So uh, a light year, um, that would be about two football fields, okay? So so somewhere in that cloud that's two football fields big is a couple of quarters that are being born um, uh, in the pillars of creation. So, so that is kind of an interesting thing inside of the Eagle Nebula. A couple more pictures real quick. So you see it there in the X-ray and in the visible light, and then you see it the other way around, the visible light... Um, and that's the nine light year thing. So, uh, nine light years sounds pretty big, you know, two football fields with the, uh, everything we know about is, uh, or everything that's handy to us is inside of a quarter. Two football fields is big. But of course, there's things that are much bigger. This would be a hundred thousand, um, uh, uh, I forget the, anyway, I've forgotten the numbers. That would be, our galaxy would be, um, 
it would be about half as far as the distance from New York to L.A. So you start out in L.A., you can picture kind of mapping that onto half the U.S. And one more here, the Hubble Deep Field. Back up one more. Okay, this is the Hubble Deep Field. What they did is they said, let's look at the sky. Let's look at an empty part of the sky. And what they did is they took a chunk of the sky where there weren't any stars that they knew about. And it's a, it's as big as if you held this quarter up and you looked at George Washington's eye. Okay, the little piece, you know, when you hold a quarter up at arm's length, the little piece in your vision that is the eye of George Washington. That's how big a chunk of sky they looked at. So you can see in this one, it's uh, the next one. It's a twelfth the size of the moon, so it's not very big at all. It's that little tri- uh, V-shaped thing there at the bottom. Now go back to the previous. So this is the Hubble Deep Field. When they said, if we look at a part of the sky where there's nothing else there, what would we see? So this is an empty section of space. And when they looked at it with the Hubble Space Telescope, they saw galaxies. There's 3,000 galaxies in this picture. Everywhere they look, there's galaxies. And really, there's nothing magical about that part of space because the only reason they picked it is because there wasn't already something they knew about. Uh, If they could look behind this thing they know about, they expect there'd probably be 3,000 galaxies behind that too. So essentially, every place you look in space, there's 3,000 galaxies. So there's lots and lots of galaxies. The galaxies are the size of half of a continent. Okay, and and uh, in in relation to our solar system being a quarter. So when I when I when I kind of go through this, when I when I put you through this, um, the facts may be boring, I know, but but I hope the pictures are at least cute. Um, I like these pictures as much as the facts, to be honest. Um, when I look at the night sky, when I look at God's handiwork, when I come to that same realization that the psalmist had, that God is not just my chum who's across the street or the person who lives down the block, the one who I can relate to as a peer, when I actually stop and realize this is the God who made the universe, the made, made those thousands of galaxies, who made the, the, the Eagle Nebula and the pillars of creation, when I think about that God, I ask the same question that the psalmist asks, which is, who is God? How can I possibly understand anything about God, much less my relationship with God. What is a human being compared to God? That's the question the psalmist asks. Now, we have been in for the last couple of weeks, and, and, and for the next couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a series of, of talks um, that I've called Ichthus, uh, based on this ancient memory aid um, from, the, uh, from the ancient church uh, where's my picture? There it is. So um, it's this memory aid and mnemonic. Ichthus is five letters in the Greek alphabet, and what it stands for, what it stood for for them, was a Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And um, uh, that's where the fish logo comes from. The word Ichthus means fish. That's where the fish logo comes from. It's why we see it in, in structures or in carvings and so forth like that. It's why it's on bumper stickers today. Ichthus means Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Um, but we've already looked at Jesus and Christ, so today we're going to look at the middle letter in that. It's the word theu, which means God's. And this gets to the question, how can we talk about the things of God? We can talk about God, but if we stop and actually say, what do I know about God? How can I, how can I put an apostrophe S at the end of the word God? How can I understand anything about God? How can I understand what God is doing? How can I understand what God's motivations are for doing those things? We confront this mystery. 
How do we understand the things of God? The apostrophe S is a tripping block for us because we don't know God. We can't puzzle out the kind of God who can make galaxies and make nebulas. The only answer is that God can reveal it to us. Last week, if you were um, here, you remember uh, Peter uh, experiences a revelation. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, who am I? And they say, well, some people say this, some people say that. And Jesus says, yeah, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're right. The Holy Spirit has revealed that to you. The way that Peter understood anything about God and about who Jesus was was because of the revelation that he received from the Holy Spirit. So today what we're going to do to answer the question, how can we understand the things of God? How can we, how can we relate to God? How can we put an apostrophe S at the end of the word God? The way we're going to do that is by reading a different revelation the Holy Spirit gave Peter. So let's take a look at this passage from Second Peter. Because in it, he tells us three things that we can use, that we can hang on to when we're trying to understand what is, what is it that God is doing? What is the relationship that we have with God? We can answer the, the big question even in the face of the nebulas and the galaxies. So reading from verse 4 of chapter 2, Peter says, Come to him, a living stone. So he's, he's got this metaphor that, that if we are like stones, Jesus is like a living stone, that God's life is in him, and that as he works in us, we too can become living stones. We're not just uh, uh, inert, uh, lifeless objects. We can become stones with life in them. So he says, uh, he is a living stone, uh, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. So a diamond, I don't know, pick a stone you think is precious. That's what he's talking about, a stone that's chosen by God and precious. And then he says, like living stones, we, like living stones, let ourselves be built into a spiritual house. So, so what he's saying is that, is that Jesus is a cornerstone. Jesus is this precious stone that makes everything else come into focus. What is it that God wants to do? The answer is God wants to do something with us in relation to Jesus. He says Jesus is a cornerstone, and as we are oriented around and aligned with Jesus, God does something not just in us, but with us. God builds us into a spiritual house. He says, we become a spiritual house. And the image here for people in his culture was the temple, this place where sacrifices were were made um, that are acceptable to God. And then he gives some scriptures. He says, it stands in scripture, see, I'm laying as in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, that's Jesus, chosen and precious, Whoever believes in him, whoever leans their life against him as the cornerstone will not be put to shame. So to you then who believe, he is precious. This word precious, the way it's used in the sentence, he means not just that we can look at it and say that's a precious stone, but we can say our preciousness, he is the preciousness, he is the source of preciousness, that he is what makes us precious. So to you who believe, he is your preciousness, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner. And a stone that makes them stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. 
He says they stumble because they do not believe. They have not leaned their life against Jesus. They've not oriented themselves around this cornerstone. So they stumble and fall. And then he kind of says, you can almost see Peter saying, that's it. I don't have any more metaphors from scripture that I can, that I can call up on the subject of stones. So he says, all right, I'm going to skip the metaphor. I'm just going to give it to you bluntly. And so in chapter, in verse nine, he says, but you, our chosen race, and he's echoing the words from uh, Exodus that God talked to the, the Hebrew people. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his mighty light. He says two things. God makes you into a people. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. God does that so he can show you mercy. And the reason he does that is because he wants you to proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness. So the purposes of God that Peter reveals to us or that are revealed to Peter and Peter passes on to us um, are not just that God will save us, turn us from from uh, stones to living stones, from from dead people to children of God. That Not only that, but then God will use us to make something else, the spiritual house in which praises abound. That God will align us around Jesus as the cornerstone. God will turn us into the church. I think a lot of Christians have a me and Jesus relationship. That I know what Jesus has done in my life, but they miss this second part. They don't see themselves as having any connection to other Christians. They don't see that part of the puzzle, that they are puzzled when they think about God because they're trying to figure it out. God has saved me. God has done something. I can tell that. God has changed me. But beyond that, I have no idea what Jesus is up to. It's as confusing as when I look at a galaxy and say, what is God up to? But Peter tells us exactly what God is up to. God is putting us together. God is putting the Christians of this congregation of the other congregations around town, across the world, and and down through the centuries. God is assembling us together with them into a spiritual house. And the reason is so that we can declare the praises of God. We can talk about the mighty acts of him who called us out of darkness. So that is the purpose of God. So let's, let's kind of figure out what do we do with that? What do we take home from that? If you're a stone, the invitation here is to become a living stone. Jesus has so much life in him that he can pour it out into you and you can become a living stone. That's called becoming a Christian or becoming a a child of God or becoming a member of the kingdom of God. There's different images used in Scripture, but when Jesus puts his life into you, you become a living stone or a child of God. And I think a lot of people can say, yeah, I have that relationship. But then he says, and then collectively, as you orient your life around what Jesus is doing, as you as you kind of say, I see Jesus over there, and I'm going to try and line up with that. I'm going to try and align what I'm doing. I'm going to try and lean against what Jesus is and what he's doing. As I do that, and I do that with other living stones, then I am part of the church. Yes. And that God's purpose includes those other Christians. 
There's a lot of people who say, you know, I like, I like, I like God. I like spirituality. I just don't like the church. You know, I know those Christians, those Christians, they're not so hot. Um, Gandhi famously said that. I love your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. What the scripture tells us is that Jesus wants us to be aligned with other Christians into the church. And finally, the purpose of the church then is to give praises to God. So the question for us is, are we close enough? Are we leaning as a body of believers? Are we leaning on Jesus enough that we can see what God is doing? Do we scratch our heads when someone says, what are those mighty acts? What, 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 might, what mighty acts are you talking about? Do we scratch our head and say, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen any. Or are we attuned to what God is doing? Are we close enough to the work that God is doing in the world as a body that we can say, yeah, here's some, here's some of those mighty acts. Here's the thing that we've seen God doing in our, in our, in ourselves and in our community, in, in our community of believers. That's what Jesus is, or what the Holy Spirit is telling Peter in this scripture. He's saying that we are to become that kind of people. The psalmist asks, what can we know about God? And the answer is, we, we can know he's impressive. He builds big things. He builds galaxies and nebulas. But we can't understand his purposes without a revelation. And when we hear the revelation, what we hear is not just that God wants us to become living rocks, but that he wants to do something with those rocks. He wants to build a temple where the mercies he's shown us can be praised. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, you are awesome. When we look at the sky, when we consider the work of your hands, what are, what are humans that you care about us? But when we hear the words of the scripture opening our hearts so we can understand your purposes, we know you have purposes for us as individuals to become living stones and as living stones to become a house of praise. We pray, Lord, that you would be at work in us as individuals and as a community of faith so that we can see the things you're doing and give you praise. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.